0: This is Vince McKee
1: and Eli Mooneyham,
0: and you're listening to the Keon Sports Podcast. Our guest today will be Chris Labine. Put your feet up, grab something cold to drink, sit back, and enjoy. Up next, Chris, the crippler Labine. All right, welcome back here with the Keon Sports Podcast. I am Vince McKee sitting aside. With me is Eli Mooneyham. We want to welcome in our guest, Chris Labine. Chris, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, now growing up in uh here we go growing up in portland who were some of the fighters you looked up to and and got you interested in the sport because you kind of grew up during a very uh unique time where really the sport was just beginning
2: you know it it really was and uh i mean i was already into those early ufcs the very first ones were when i was in uh, middle school and i remember watching those with my with my friends and you know, talking about how that's something I wanted to do, and then I got into high school, started wrestling. Then uh, one day I got a call, and my brother says, "Hey, man, I got a job at this car lot, and uh, Randy Couture and Matt Lindland are kicking the shit out of each other in the garage." <laughs> and, and at that time, Randy Couture was the was the heavyweight world champion, you know. And I was like, "What? I'm on my way," you know. And that was uh, Team Quest in the very, very beginning. Um, you know, so I shot down there and immediately, you know, was was hooked and was like, "Sign me up!" You know, got signed up and then started training uh, immediately after that.
0: You know, and, and we're going to talk about that in a second. And we, I mean, we can't wait to dive into all of that. But yeah. I wanted, I wanted a very, I mentioned a very special, uh, very special woman, and that's your mother. Um, you know, raising several children as a single mom, she seems like an incredible woman. How proud of you are of your mom? And how much of an influence was she on you growing up?
2: Man, I think you read the uh, you must have read somebody else's bio, dude.
0: <laughs> uh oh. No, I'd I read something that, that said you were raised by a single mom, so my, my, my fault there. I
2: was by a, a single mom that you know, more or less a meth head, you Ooh. know, in a house. Um, she really didn't, she really wasn't there for, uh, for me much growing up. Uh, you know, I mean, she had her own struggles. Don't get me wrong; she still does. She has her own battles, and and you know, with age, I've come to realize that you know she was suffering more than more than us. You know, but uh, but my childhood was rough because of that.
0: Oh, I understand. My my apology.
1: Here's Eli. Hey, Chris, Eli Moody, I'm here. Um, Eli, what's up,
2: man?
1: hey, nothing much, man. I I had to ask you. You, you turned pro in two thousand two. And you went on an absolute tear, honestly, to start that show, um, to start, uh, to start off with your career. You won first of your ten—excuse uh, me—you won your first ten out of your eleven fights, and you, including the WEC middleweight championship, eight of the ten wins came by way of KO or submission. What, what, what were, what were you doing, Chris? What, what let you get the hot start?
2: You know, I, I think I was just too dumb to know any better. I mean, when I, I would just, you know, just blind faith. Um, that I was going to win, you know, and I, I had a couple fights, you know, there was one where I fought a guy named Otto Olson and he kicked the crap out of me, ended up choking me unconscious. But, you know, um, I passed out, had a dream in the middle of the fight, somehow woke up and still knocked him out. I mean, there were several fights of those first, you know, 10 fights, 10 pro fights that I should have lost. But just being young and refusing to lose and and just thinking that, you know, it was it was uh, divine that I I win, you know, that, you know, that I was on a mission from God or something along those lines. I think it it just, you know, I I somehow would would always manage to uh, to pull it off. No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, attribute it to any sort of skill, any sort of high high skill level, or or anything like that. I mean, definitely toughness, you know. But uh, I was still figuring a lot of stuff out as far as you know my style and my game went. Um, you know, I just was. Uh, I just refused to lose.
1: We definitely saw that early on, Chris. And at ten one, you could have entered the UFC traditionally, but. You decided to join Nate Quarry on the inaugural season, your teammate of The Ultimate Fighter. Why did you go The Ultimate Fighter, and can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Well, actually, uh, you know, because I was at, you know, like I that little bit of story I told a second ago, you know, I was at Team Quest, you know, and my coach was Randy Couture, you know, and Randy said, hey, there's going to be this show, you know, I want you to send in a video, uh um, You know, so I I sent in a video to to apply for The Ultimate Fighter. You know, and ultimately, that first season, everybody that that got on the show were guys that were already knocking on the door of the UFC. You know, Mike Swick and I had just fought for the WEC title, you know, like you said, and both of us were on the show, you know, along with everybody else that was close to making that break into the UFC, Um, you know, so... You know, went went with Nate and I both went, got on that first season, um, and ultimately, it 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 rushed in a new era as far as mixed martial arts is concerned. All you know, we had no idea the effect that that show was going to uh, to, to bring. You know, but all of a sudden, I went from you know. Being just, you know, just some fighter that nobody knew to being more or less a household name. I mean, the the fame that came along with with that show and being on regular national TV uh, was just incredible. I don't think any of us could have possibly guessed or comprehended the ripple effect that that was going to have on mixed martial arts and, and American culture, you know, in a whole. You know, so ultimately, um, I probably could have just went to the UFC, but I'm glad I did the show because I think the show really allows people to, you know, fans to get to know the fighters and really get behind the fighters, get to understand their personality, and they kind of relate with you better. And I think that, that ultimately helped me through my career.
1: And Chris, I got to follow up with this one. How was the house? The first time you everybody, the first reaction when you watch the show is everybody's so like in awe of the house. I, I just want to know what was your first reaction when you saw the house?
2: Well, man, you know, like I was saying, bro, I grew up in the ghetto. You know, I grew up. In, you know, my my bedroom, the wall was falling off the back of my house, and snow was blowing in. Most of the time, we didn't have power or running water. A lot of the time, in my house. So, yeah, man, it was something beyond what I, what I had ever seen at that time. You know, I thought it was amazing then. Now, looking back, I mean, it was a nice house. It was a nice house. It, it wasn't, you know, like a Scarface mansion, you, you know what I mean? But, but it was a nice, legit house, you know. But at the moment, I thought it was the most incredible thing ever.
0: You know, Chris, uh, you know, I myself watching it at the time as a fan before I became a journalist in this industry you know, you were a favorite of mine from that show, uh, just, you know, watching your, your journey into the show and everything that went on. So I wanted to ask you this question, because I've talked with Gray Maynard, who appeared on the Ultimate Fighter a few years later, and some other guys as well. <clears throat> I just want to know, did they, do you feel like they portrayed you in an accurate light? And was there a legitimate beef between you and Josh Koscheck, Or was a lot of that they were just producers trying to produce something for TV?
2: Well, so here's the thing. You know, um, if you film somebody 24 hours a day to make a 40 minute video per week, you can portray them however the fuck you want to portray them. You want to make them look like Gandhi? You can do that. You want to make them look like the biggest dirtbag on the planet? You can do that, you know? And ultimately, you know, you said it produce producers you know what do you need producers for on reality tv so there's absolutely um you know a planned character arc that they plan into those kind of shows you know that that, you know they wanted to show growth and whatnot in my character i understand that that's how tv works um you know but but ultimately you know i would say you know yeah in a lot of ways i was that asshole that they portrayed you know, and but but they did. You know, as far as training and being a good training partner, I was. I've always been a great training partner, and everybody's always surprised when they work with me. Like, wow, he really helped me out. Da da da. You know, so I mean, they betrayed me. It wasn't false the way they betrayed me. Everything that they showed, I did. You know, but they betrayed me in the manner that they wanted to betray me in.
0: You know, another unique thing, and I I feel, uh, you know, my my good friend is is, uh, Mike Goldberg, and me and Goldie have talked about this a lot over the years. We feel like that initial cast of The Ultimate Fighter was the greatest of all time, and I'm going to give some of my fans at home, our fans at home, uh, just a little roster. A few names on that was Josh Koscheck, Diego Sanchez, Kenny Kenflo Florian, Nate The Rock Corey, Stefan Bonner, and Forrest Griffin, just to name a few, along with yourself. I mean, would you, you know, looking back on it, 2020, would you really say, like, hey, that might have been the greatest assembly of MMA talent under one roof?
2: Yeah, I I mean, well, aspiring MMA talent at the time, I mean, we hadn't achieved what we were going to go on to achieve. And again, I think that had to do with the fact that it was the first season and, you know, they had all, you know, they selected from, guys that were already knocking on the door of the UFC you know then you get down once you start getting towards season 10 and they're you know you know and they're doing two shows a two shows a year with you know 20 plus guys on each season you're looking at 40 guys a year there's not that many people True. you know that are that are at that school level so you so you started to see the the median skill, though, I mean, don't get me wrong, you had your standouts, you know, for sure. You had your Biz you had your Kendall Groves, Ed Herman, all, all these guys that, that ultimately went on to have great UFC careers, but but nothing like that first season.
0: Coming out of the show, you know, you had a lot of momentum. People knew who you were now, national level. You come out on an absolute tier. And it's funny because I saw your tweet the other day, and I already had this question ready to ask you, so it works out perfectly. You come off that show, you win five straight fights, improving your overall record to 15 and one. Do you feel, looking back on it now, do you feel that had the UFC not signed Anderson Silva, the shot at Rich Franklin's middleweight championship would have been years without even having to have that fight with Silva?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, before I fought Silva, Dana came up to my room. He calls me up. He says, "Hey man, I got a I got a gift for you." You know what? I'm going to come up to your room and bring it to you, and I'm thinking, fuck, yeah, right, Dana's bringing me a gift, you know, so Rolex, something. You no, know, man, Dana shows up to my room, and he's got a fucking belt buckle he got from American Outfitters that says, uh, what did it say, fighter by day. Drunker by night, drunker by choice, you know, like some cheesy belt buckle. He gives me the cheesy. that I saw this. I was thinking of you. He gives me the $12 belt buckle. And then he, then he says, you know, uh, if you beat Anderson tomorrow, I want you to call out Rich Franklin, you know, da da da. So, I mean, that's how close I was. You know, I, I mean, if, you know, things would have been different, maybe there would have been one more fight whoever I would have fought it wouldn't have been fucking Anderson Silva, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so I would have had better odds, yep. you know? Um, you know, and, the, and that fight against Anderson, I, I don't think the you've seen me what I was in for. I knew what I was in for. You know, um, I ended up getting, I think, Sure Dog gave me worst quote of the year for saying I was going to beat up Anderson Silva and send him back to Japan and it's like well fuck what do you say I think I might lose to this guy is that what you say before a fight
0: <laughs> Yeah, very you know
2: true. my at the time Matt Hume um, was the, you know the head judge for pride and was very familiar and watched all the cage rages and everything and we knew um, Anderson's backstory who he was and everything that had gone on with him very well That's the only fight ever that he or anybody else has ever recommended that I not take. You know, and I called Joe Silva, I said, hey man, can I get somebody else? And he's like, no, you can't. All right, you know, we'll take the fight, you know? You know, but that's the only fight I ever tried to not take was Anderson Silva. Because we knew it was going to be that tough. Ultimately, Matt had come up with an excellent game plan for me, which involved not charging forward. Um, but once that bell rang, I did exactly what I normally do, which is I went straight at him. I'm going to knock this guy out. And, you know, that got me, you know, whatever to 15 and one or whatever, that, that moving, moving forward and and, and swinging recklessly, um, you know, just throwing caution to the wind and, and fighting with reckless abandon. You know, it got me all the way up to Anderson Silva, but when I had that fight, I realized I had to go back to the drawing board. I realized there was a there was there was there was more levels to this shit, you know, and you know that kind of fighting was never going to be him, you know. So I had to go back and completely revamp my game, and because of that, I ended up losing a couple of my next few fights. You know, sometimes you got to take two steps back to go one step forward, you know. And uh, and that's what I did. Ultimately, it worked out. I never did get that rematch with with, with Anderson. He ended up continuing on that terror that he was on you know arguably the gnarliest run of destruction the UFC has ever seen I mean yeah we've got Khabib's and we've got you know this and that but I think a lot of people don't remember just how feared Anderson Silva was and just how unstoppable and how quickly he annihilated so many high level guys you know, and like I said in my tweet, that was really my only saving grace was that, you know, at the, you know, right after the fight, people were like, what the heck happened to Leibman?" But then after the next guy, and then after Ste- In, and then after Forrest, and then after, you know what I mean? People started going, oh, oh, it wasn't Leibman. It's This guy is special, you know? He's special.
1: Chris, you mentioned that, that you got right back into it. Your next fight, you knocked out Jorge Santiago in two rounds. Uh, can you just talk about the training camp that went into that after that Silva fight? Um, just you know, you talked about just you had to get right back to it. Uh, can you talk about, you know, the process to get back into, then eventually delivering that knockout in two rounds.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, so you know, I wanted to get right back on the horse immediately. So as soon as I got home. Called Joe Silva, you know, and I was like, "Hey, man, I I need to get back in there." Ultimately, that that uh, Jorge Santiago fight was seven weeks later, you know. So um, I literally went home and got right back to training, um, in order to just you know. And then I, I went out there and I and, you know I, I worked extensively on tightening up my striking, tightening up my arms, you know, holding my guard closer, footwork this sort of thing. And, you know, it worked out in my next fight. It did work out in my next fight. Um, but then the fights, the couple next two after that, you know, I was still working on some things and I had some, some close fights that I lost, but, uh, you know, you know, that's the thing about fighting. It's constantly a work in progress. You know, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily as a coach now recommend that somebody come right back in off a loss just to get back on the winning side of things. You know, that was, um, a psychological issue on my part. You know, as a coach now, I always tell my guys, I say, listen, whether we win or lose, we come home and we go, okay, what worked? What didn't work? What needs improvement? And we spend our time and we focus on these things and then we go out and fight and the fight is the measuring stick. How How did my game plan, how did my skills, how did those work out? how would I assess my performance, you know? And, you know, and, and so, so ultimately, you know, I think, you know, you know, after a loss or, or, or even a win, you know, a fighter that wants to consistently get better should, should spend some time at home in skill development. You know, when you're, when you go back and you've only got seven weeks, you don't really have time to develop any new skills. Basically, you're jumping right back into hard
0: sparring and your A game that you already have. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's why I want to talk to you about because, <clears throat> you know, after that stretch, a 3-4 and four stretch, you went on a 15-day run that diehard UFC fans still talk about today. You knocked out Aaron Simpson on June 19, 2010, and then turned around and submitted Yoshihiro Akiyama in a three-round thriller at UFC 116. Chris, I'm telling you right now, my man, I could close my eyes and picture that fight in my head. It was so damn good. I remember it so clearly. On the same card, you know, with Brock Lesnar, I want to say it right about this time of year too. I think it was like July 3rd. Just amazing. Can you talk about that 15 day stretch, defeating Simpson, all of a sudden somebody pulls out and you gotta fight Akiyama, and just the thrilling stretch that was
2: so aaron simpson um you know i i I called out aaron simpson i wanted to fight him because aaron um my best friend had fought him previously ed herman and ended up blowing his knee out in the fight he ed was doing very well blew his knee out and you know didn't try to throw a high kick with a blown out knee and it was no good you know so you know i don't know i thought maybe i could get some redemption for him or something we knew it was a tough fight you know um the game plan was well. I trained hard. Trained hard for Aaron Simpson. The game plan um, worked out out well. You know, we ended up getting that knockout, I believe, second round. Um, You know, and then uh, went out, celebrated in Vegas that night, flew home, ordered a large pizza, (laughs) was sitting on my couch eating a large pizza, and um, that's when I got a call from the UFC. You know, and they're like, hey. We want you to take this fight, and I'm like, you guys are out of your mind. I'm not fighting in 15 days. Like I, you know, what I mean, I just got through a training camp, you know, and then more or less, they wouldn't take no for an answer. They threw me, they threw me some extra money, and you know, ma- made me a deal that I couldn't refuse. And I was like, all right, dude, yeah, let's fuck it, let's do it, you know. So, um, so Akiyama, you know, the the the, the issue is. I had no time to prepare for a guy that fights with his style. Also, um, you can't peak twice. That's why they call it peaking. You know, you, you, you have to train your, your body and your your timing, your cardio, your weight, all that has to come to a to a pinnacle and you can't hang out there or something gives out, you know, you either get an injury, you get sick. You can't hang out at that optimum level of performance, you know, at all times. You know, so, you know, it was a rough two weeks. My body was falling apart, you know, trying to get through training camp, got through the training camp, got to the fight. Um, Ultimately, I thought I fought a little bit sloppier than I did with Aaron Simpson. But uh, it made for a far more exciting fight. You know, people, people seem to love that fight. People continually... Remember that fight, a lot of people had had forgotten about Aaron Simpson, but everybody remembers the Akiyama battle because we more or less just stood in front of each other and slugged it out. I was probably losing. I'm certain I was losing on the cards before I got that triangle, you know, and I'll tell you a funny story. I was walking after the fight. I remember walking back to the dressing room, and my coach, Bert Richardson, was there, and I said, what was that, about halfway through the second round? And he's like, no, dude, there's 10 seconds left in the third round. What are you talking, or two seconds left in the third round? What are you talking about, you know? And I'm like, oh, shit, you know? And then I went back and watched the video, and you could see about halfway through the second round, um, he hits me with something and my knees buckle. And and from that point on, I don't remember any of the fight, you know? I,
0: I, I was just on autopilot. That's crazy. You know, let me ask uh, a quick follow-up question to that. Um, also on that card was Brock Lesnar. Do you ever consider things like that of who else is on the card, who's headlining before you take a fight only because you know there's probably going to be more eyes on the product? No.
2: No. Never, it's, never, it's, it's never mattered to me. All, all I care about is uh, my opponent and my career. What's going to move my career forward. That's always been my, my main thought. You know, Ultimately, uh, just like the fights now, how there's no crowd, no audience in the crowd. You know, I've told people continuously. You know, they could hang a black curtain around that cage when I'm fighting for. I would fight exactly the same. You know, um, there's a guy in there trying to tear my head off. You know that that and and when I'm in training camp, that's who I'm preparing for. You know, and when it comes fight week, that's who I'm thinking about. And when I get in there with the cage in the cage, that's who I'm going to get in with. And that's that's who I'm fighting. Everything else is irrelevant in my mind
0: and that's how winning's done I, I've said that for a long time that people just focus on staying in your lane and, and worrying about what you can what you can control that's a great you philosophy you
2: know you've only got so much energy to give you might as well give it all to what
0: you can affect yeah I agree completely now your last uh, big career win came against an MMA legend in Wanderlei Silva not only did you beat a legend but you did it in 27 seconds how'd you do it and how good did it feel
2: I mean, it felt great because um, the reason I took the Akiyama fight was because he was slated to fight Vandalay Silva. So they brought him over for Pride. Um, they, they had already him and Vandalay had, had previous beef, and uh, they were going to fight each other. Vandalay got hurt. I, I stepped in for Vandalay to fight Akiyama. So as soon as that fight was over... I started lobbying to fight Vandalay Silva. And I remember Dana telling me, dude, you're crazy, you know, at first and then finally he called me back and he's like, All right, man, you wanted it. Be careful what you asked for, you know. We're gonna we're gonna give you Vandalay, you know? And uh you know, ultimately I that's one of the one of the uh, few fights that I, I really didn't think I was gonna win, you know. I, I more or less thought I was gonna lose that fight, but that's not what mattered to me. What mattered is, you know, just you know, Vandalay was one of the people I grew up watching. I used to, uh, I used to walk across town to there used to be this old Japanese toy store in uh, Old Town Portland, and uh, he would rent me these bootleg prides that he videotaped off Sky Perfect TV over in Japan, you know, and that's how I became a Vandalay fan was watching, you know, his old battles with Sakuraba and everybody in Pride. you know, when I was just, you know, an amateur or even before my career, you know, so um, so I asked for that fight because I wanted to fight, you know, my, one of my heroes. And, uh, you know, ultimately, hey, man, it worked out good for me. You know, if we fought 10 more times, would it work out that way? I don't know. But, you know, that, that on that given Saturday, um, the cards fell in my favor. And, you know, that's history now.
1: Chris, in 2013, you ended up walking away from active competition in UFC. Uh, I have a a trifled question. How hard was that decision to make? Why did you decide to walk away? And what do you miss the most about active competition fighting in MMA? Okay, so
2: so when I retired from the UFC, I – you know, I had lost my last three fights. Uh, there was a lot of, um, or I lost my fourth fight, you know, and, you know, there was a lot of damage going on in my life, both outside of the cage, uh, alcohol, drug abuse was a problem. And, you know, ultimately I, uh, you know, for a guy that, that, um, fancied himself that would fight till the death you know i uh i ultimately finished my career on 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 the stool and what what i mean by that is um i didn't you know in the ufc my last fight i i didn't get up to answer that third round bell um just because my heart my heart wasn't in it at that point you know um and that that crushed me you know that was a devastating blow um however you know um ultimately, you know, I, I was able to find, you know, AA, get sober, cut out the drugs, change change my life around completely. Um at which point I, I was almost I signed a contract with Bellator, you know, and they told me that uh that um you know they, I went and did my pre fight medicals and they said, Well your your heart is failing, you know, you have a ejection fraction of fourteen percent, you know, and then Quit the drinking, changed my life. Went back to the doctor. She says, "You, uh, you know, you don't need a new heart, luckily now, but you, we need to put this pacemaker in." You know, and I was like, "Well, hey, can I do jujitsu if you if you put in that pacemaker?" She's like, "No, no, you can't." But but if you don't do it, you know, you have this percent chance that you're going to die this year. You know, so I went back and I talked to my support group. Ultimately, uh, decided not to get it. Continued to go back to the cardiologist. And she kept going, well, you know, it's, it's just a miracle. I don't know what's going on, but your heart is just getting better and better. You know, most people's would plateau. Yours is continuing to get better. And I, I said, well, would you, uh, would you let me fight, you know? And, uh, she said, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're at the low range. Normally you're, you're healthy. And I, I would, I would sign off on you fighting. And then that is when ultimately, um, I got a call from the uh the, the bar boxing organization. And so in Uncle boxing I had three three fights. Uh, you know, my first fight was against Bill Baroni, first round knockout. Second my second fight was uh another first round knockout and my third fight um was a five round war. I ended up with, uh, like, 36 stitches in my face, broken orbital. They had to stitch my nose back on. But I was sober, and I didn't finish my combat sports career on the stool. You know, that's the most important one is that third fight to me. And uh, so that's why about two weeks ago, I I went ahead and officially retired from that because, um, you know, I I feel like, you know, I was able to... uh, Validate is that the right word? You know myself and show people the kind of fighter that I am who I really am You know Um, not that you can ever change the past or what happened with the UFC But you know to be able to go out there and have those three fights and then you know finish Finish with the war where I had every reason to quit and I didn't um, You know uh, You know it was it was it was a victorious way of uh, finishing my martial arts career so so as of now, now I'm officially retired and, you know, time to move on to uh, to bigger and better things. But, uh, but yeah, that's what happened.
1: Chris, you mentioned your journey um, with alcohol, and I, I had to ask you, uh, what encouraging words would you have for anyone battling substance abuse at this moment?
2: You know what, man, you're, you're, you're not alone. There's, it, it may feel like you're're you're alone and you're by yourself but you're not there's a lot of people that have been through it and have probably been deeper and darker than where you are right now and there there is a light that you can, you can you can get out you can escape you can break free it's going to take some work though you know it's not going to be easy you know so if you're willing if you have the desire and you're willing to you, you, anybody can do it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. You know, you're going to need to, you know, go out, seek out rehab, seek out treatment, seek out other like-minded individuals. Surround yourself with a different with the different friends. Find a support group. Go to go to meetings. Get on Zoom. Go to meetings. You've got to do things. It's not just going to happen by itself. You've got to do things to make it happen but it can
0: and it will happen if you put your mind to it. Last question for you today, and thank you again for joining us here with Keon Sports. Very much appreciated for your time, and we don't want to take up any more of your time, so this will be our last question today. You have a knowledge of the sport. You've been around it for a long time. You seem to truly know what it takes to win, what it takes to get ready for a fight, and what it takes to compete. Now that your in-cage career's done, the bare knuckles done, would you ever consider a long-term career in either commentating or refereeing? I am a referee. Correct. And here's the thing though, would you consider, you know, just doing that for the rest of the time or do you feel like you're going to go back, you know, at some point and try to fight again or you just feel like refereeing, possibly even commentating down the road is your final path?
2: No, that's the plan. The plan for me is the referee. I've been a, a referee out here in California for about three years. Right now I work for CAMO, the California Amateur Martial Arts Organization. Ultimately, I, I need to work for CSAC, uh, California State Athletic Commission. They're the ones that do the UFC and Bellator and the, the pro fights. So, you know, I uh, that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to retire from competition because I, I do believe that Siding and refereeing at the same time is at some level a conflict of interest. You know, ultimately, um, I love this. I love this sport and, you know, I, I've dedicated my life to it and, you know, I want to give back as much as I can. You know, I love the challenge of being being a ref. Um, it's far more difficult, far harder than I ever thought going into it as, as, a, as a job, as a career. Um, but, but ultimately it's super rewarding. It keeps me in the loop. It keeps me attached, keeps me around other, other fighters and athletes and, and martial artists, the kind of people that I love to surround myself with already, you know? So, so absolutely my goal is, you know, now is to focus on, on my, on my coaching and then also focus on my, my career as a referee.
0: Well, Chris, it's been our honor and our pleasure to speak with you today. We're going to go ahead and uh, put the recorder on pause for a brief moment. Thank you again, one second. Well, that will do it for today. Our interview with Chris Levine up right now. If you want to go ahead and scroll through all our different podcasts, it's been a couple of very big weeks here on Key Sports. I don't really have a co-host I do today with Eli Mooningham, so I'm going to actually toss this to Eli for a quick minute and just ask him, you know, how impressed were you by, by Chris Levine? I mean, he was came across very articulate, very intelligent, and, uh, yeah, probably one of the better interviews we've ever done. What do you think?
1: You know, I think it was a really fun interview, Vince. Um, I think it was really telling, I think would be the uh, right word to use. Um, I, well, not that it wasn't fun. It was really fun. But it was fun and it was telling is, is where I'm at. Like, with, I, that's what I ga- gather from it. You know, he had some really cool stories about, you know, the house, the other fighter house. And had different stories about his fights and talking about just getting in the ring with uh or the octagon rather with anderson silva and i I was really intrigued by the whole interview like just listening and hearing his insight he has a lot of uh insight on the sport and and knowledge and understanding and sometimes you don't hear that from everybody where they know where they're at and where the sport's at they he had chris had a really good understanding of everything going on and you know he's obviously got a great journey going on i mean he's he's you know, he just seems like a stand-up dude. I, I think he, I think he uh, was a lot of fun today.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, as a journalist, um, you you get the chance nowadays, especially us with Keon Sports with all the vintage stuff we do, um, to talk and interview guys that you watched growing up or, you know, as a fan. And when you could cross over from fan to journalist and, and bring both those angles into an interview and the guy comes across as well as did today, it really is a pleasure. You know, there's nothing worse than when you, you meet somebody for the first time or talk to somebody for the first time that you watched on TV as a kid or even a young adult and really looked up to you and then they turn out to be a jerk. I mean, that's a terrible feeling and I've been through that a few times. So to have, you know, Chris come across as well as he did and I got to see all of our MMA interviews have done that, they've been tremendous. So before we um, send everybody home today, just wanted to encourage everybody when you're done listening to this here in a few seconds, go back on that podcast page and if you're a fan of WWF ECW, and MMA, we have a ton of great stuff for you here, Uh, uh, Q&A with Pat Tanaka, Um, and these are all podcasts, Pat Tanaka, Al Snow, uh, the legend that is Nikita Koloff, guys, I would very much encourage you to listen to all those, Ricky Morton,
1: can't forget about the Rock and Roll Express, man,
0: yeah, I mean, Rock and Roll Express is unbelievably popular, Um, another MMA fighter here, John Fitch, we got Sean the Muscle Shark Shirk, Um, Tom Pritchard, Who talks a lot about Kane and the wrestling school they got out there. Hector Guerrero obviously a member of the famous Guerrero family Uh, clearly the podcast the podcast that has absolutely gone viral Uh, I cannot say enough, over 250,000 hits already for um, the legend that is Terry Runnels, obviously what she said about Brock Lesnar had a little bit to do with that to say the least Uh, podcast with Scott Hudson the WCW announcer local guy here man, St. Edward's graduate, Gray Maynard, yeah and just a, just to host them more, you know, and even football players as well with Brian Hansen, professional hockey player Blake Bolden. So we have really been blowing up lately. I want to thank everybody for listening and uh, hopefully talk to everybody soon. And if you want to be a sponsor, email me, coachvin14 at yahoo.com. If you're an agent or a trainer of any MMA fighter or WWE legend and you want them to come on the show, email me. We'll set it up, coachvin14 at yahoo.com. For Eli Mooningham, I am Vince McKee. Everybody have a safe... Happy, healthy, fun 4th of July weekend. Happy birthday, America.